Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Here we are today in one of the most read passages in the entire book of Revelation. Chapter 13 is in the middle of a section of verses 12 through 14 that really detail the unholiest beings that wreak havoc on this earth. It is true that evil will have its day. But my friends, let me assure you, it's only for a season. Someone was asking me, how much longer are we going to be in Revelation? Meaning that all of this talk about evil, the beast, and unholy horde of players is very intimidating. I would say, yes, it is. Look at this time in Revelation as the second act of any good book. Or play or movie. You know, you've seen those series, especially those of you that binge watch shows, meaning you sit down with a bag of popcorn and a two liter drink, and before you know it, at home, you've gone through both the two liter and the bag of popcorn and wasted five hours. But the truth of the matter is, in any good story, you know, in the middle there is this time of, of true conflict where you think, how in the world are they going to get out of this? This is that moment. And I assure you, if you've read through Revelation, It gets better. But right now, I want you to feel the weight of what's going on here during the Great Tribulation. Because it seems like the villain is one, and there is no hope. But hang on. The overarching theme of Revelation is not judgment. It's not evil. It's not supernatural things. It is hope, folks. The book of Revelation is a book of hope. The hope that true believers will be raptured before the Great Tribulation. The hope that people can still come to Christ during the Great Tribulation. And the hope that one day all of God's children will spend eternity with Him and one another in the new heaven and the new earth. So hang on. Cling on to hope. And let's jump into chapter 13 this morning. And again... I must remind you what we are reading here. John himself told us that these we will not see or whoever is around during the Great Tribulation will not literally see the beast that they as they look like this. These are symbols. These are signs of other things, other entities that are going to happen. God already told John that this vision would be a sign of things to come. Seeing a beast or dragon would be pretty obvious, wouldn't it? But the more we read, the more we see that people won't even see the danger until it's too late. So here's something to remember just for a second. These visions of the beast and the things that we're reading right now in Revelation, they've actually been prophesied by Daniel. If you go back and you read Daniel chapter 7, you will see that some of those beasts are included In his prophecy, in his dreams. So with that said, let's jump in and look at verses 1 through 10. The first beast, the beast out of the sea, the Antichrist. If you remember, in chapter 12, we learned about the dragon, the dragon being Satan himself. So now we see the Antichrist emerge. Starting at verse 1, it says, Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads. And ten horns with ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave this beast his own power 
and throne and great authority. So we see that even in the Antichrist is getting his power, his authority, and his influence from the dragon, from Satan himself. So when we see that the beast rose out of the sea, if you hang with me here for just a minute, the sea was not pleasurable like you think it is today. I don't know about you, I love going to the beach when I can get there. Toes in the sand, wind, sunscreen, SPF 50 for me. Redheads unite and fair skin, right. Liquid shirt is the best thing that I can wear. But I love it. I enjoy it. I really do. How many of y'all enjoy the beach? That's what I thought. Love the beach, especially if you got some uh, buckets to do some sand castles or some, some bocce, bocce balls or something like that. You can have a good old time out there for a while. But the truth of the matter is, back in these days, Israel could not stand water. People of the ancient world could not understand. They could not. They, it was seen as something that was evil because all they knew is that they went out into the great unknown of the sea. There were creatures out there. There was danger. There was the danger of being shipwrecked and drowning. It was not known as something that was pleasant. The people of Israel feared the sea. Matter of fact, in their navy, they didn't even have Israelites that served in it. They had Palestinians. And Muslims and others that would serve in their navy. Because the sea was synonymous with evil, chaos, and rebellion against God. So when you see that this beast came out of the sea, it is another way of saying this beast came out of our worst fears, rebellion, and evil that we can think of. Because it came out of the sea. Well, the beast with seven heads and ten horns. Notice chapter 12, Satan was a dragon. Now the Antichrist is identified as a beast. He's like a mini version. It's like a mini-me of Satan is what he is. They look similar, but the dragon is far scarier. The Antichrist, not the dragon, but he is like him. Because what you see is the dragon also had seven heads and ten horns. But any creature with seven heads, here's the thing. Any creature with seven heads, they would be hard to kill, wouldn't they? Because if you wounded one head, six would still remain. In Daniel's vision, if you go back and look, especially in chapter 7, verse 24 of Daniel, Daniel's vision, the ten horns, specifically represented ten kingdoms that this final world dictator has authority over. So again, you're not going to see a literal dragon, but you are going to see nations that will be influenced and led by the Antichrist. And in John's vision... The ten crowns and the ten horns emphasize this idea. The crowns could represent the actual leaders of those nations. Notice it says that there are names that blaspheme God on the heads of this beast. I want you to know that the Antichrist will be a blasphemer against God. The horns. Why, why so many horns? If, if you think of animals, think of some of the most powerful animals you can think of. I think of like an ox or a bull or a ram or a rhinoceros. And so when you see these horns, these, these horns are representative of power. That's showing you that this force, this beast, this antichrist, and these nations and these leaders, they will have unlimited, well, I not say unlimited, they will have a lot of power. All right. Y'all still with me? Okay, just checking. Take a pause. 
The Antichrist, his likeness to Satan, is just one of the things that identifies this beast with the Antichrist. And actually, the word Antichrist appears in the Bible five times in four verses. And it's not in Revelation, actually. It's in 1 John 2, 1 John 4, and 2 John 7. We see reference to the Antichrist. Let's talk about what the Antichrist, the actual meaning of the Antichrist. There's, there's a couple things. We all know that anti means against or something that will go against the other thing. Like we know that you have aircraft missiles or aircraft and anti-aircraft missiles, which those missiles are made to, to fight aircraft, right? Well, when we see the Antichrist, many people have no problem believing that the Antichrist is going to be the polar opposite of Jesus. Jesus was, was holy. The Antichrist will be vile. Jesus was loving. The Antichrist will be uh, hateful. Well, that's not the case in the beginning. Because the truth of the matter is, everybody's going to love this guy. Most will be looking for the opposite of Jesus. The Antichrist also means not only the opposite of Jesus or against Jesus, but here's the thing. It also means instead of. Instead of. So the Antichrist, by meaning instead of Jesus, is more likely because even today's people ascribe Jesus to their attitudes that are far below God's standards. There are many people claiming to love Jesus to go to church, to be Christians, but yet they do not give up the sins that they know that Jesus would not endorse. They do not give up the sins and the thoughts and the patterns that he died for to forgive them from. Actually, the truth of the matter is, is that the Antichrist will be liked by most people that are still left on this earth. The Antichrist will instead be more of an instead of Jesus. He will look wonderful. He will look charming, and he will look successful. He will be the ultimate winner, folks. He will be the one on every news channel. He will be the one that every nation looks to. He will be the problem fixer. He will be the politician that everybody has longed for. Everybody will love him, no matter what side of the political spectrum they are on. Paul writes about the Antichrist. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, where he says, Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. My friends, Satan is not ugly. Satan is not this pitchforked rendition of something some artist came up with long ago. Satan is not what you see in horror movies and other TV shows. Satan is one of the most beautiful angels there is. And the thing is, is that when you think about sin, does sin look ugly at the moment you do it? Absolutely not. You're like, oh man, I, I'm going to get me some of this. And then once you get it, you realize the trick that was in the treat. But the Antichrist will be seen as the real Messiah. So again, let's go back to Antichrist, meaning instead of. You realize that the Antichrist will be the Messiah that everybody accepts. The Jews will accept the Antichrist as the long-awaited Messiah. The world will accept 
Him as a long-awaited Messiah. Those, they will jump on the bandwagon. So it's not going to look like we think we've been, we've been brought up to believe it's going to be good versus evil and battling and, and fighting, the Christians fighting against the Antichrist. No, everybody's going to flock to Him. There's going to be a blindness. We can even see that today as, as all of a sudden now we as people who believe in God's Word and have uh, definitions of love and definitions of um, how we treat other people, and what is and what is not sin, we are being labeled as backwoods, uneducated, unenlightened, fundamentalist. We're getting a lot of hate for it. It's only going to get worse. It's only going to turn up, folks. Years ago, many of you that are sitting in these pews, being a Christian was a badge of honor. Being a preacher, the preacher of the hometown church, was the... the um, you know, like one of the, the most popular people around. Everybody went to church. Everything was great. We didn't hear about a lot of the sins that are so prominent today. Now, they were there. They've always been around. But I'm telling you, the culture and the temperature is changing now. Today, when you are a Christian, it might cost you something. It might cost you a job promotion. It might cost you a circle of friends. It might cost you peace of mind. But that's okay. That's another story for another time. We see that there's a lion, a leopard, and a bear. The beast looked like a leopard, but it had a feet of bear and mouth of a lion. John, I'll get it out. John presents this beast as an extension of the fourth beast in Daniel 7. Also, the Antichrist will have world domination. If you read, it says, And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. Folks, it's not far-fetched to see other countries worshiping statues and posters and representations of their leaders. How many times, I mean, you remember watching the news where uh, the army went in and they, they toppled the, the statue of Saddam Hussein? Think of all of these places that worship all of these leaders. It's not too far-fetched. We see here that an image is set up to the beast and the whole world will be commanded to worship it. The beast will not be a normal man. Remember, this is not somebody that was birthed by a woman and a man and raised up in a family, paid his dues, and made his way to the government. This is a beast that has come out from the abyss, from the bottomless pit, where they keep the most vilest of demons and evil forces. He wasn't born like Jesus. He's always been, and he rises up out of the darkness. It's possible that even the Antichrist may be some former world leader that is resurrected. Yes, resurrection could be on the table for, I'll tell you what, if you see, if there's a a world leader that was hated or loved by many, that all of a sudden they come back from the dead, don't you think that's going to be pretty amazing? So we have, uh, and instead of Jesus Messiah, we have an instead of Jesus Messiah, resurrection we will have instead of jesus miracles folks this world is really going to think during the great tribulation they are really going to think that the antichrist is jesus christ instead of the instead of jesus christ we see here in verse three that the beast has been healed he says i saw one of the heads of the beast it seemed wounded beyond recovery But the fatal wound was healed. 
the whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshiped the beast who is as, as great as the beast. They exclaimed, who is able to fight against him? Folks, the Antichrist stages his first false resurrection. We see that because of the fatal wounded head that is now living again. There will be some type of resurrection. Because a head wound is not something you can put a band-aid on and wait for it to heal. This was a death blow that was healed supernaturally. This is truly the Antichrist. They even imitate Jesus his death, and his resurrection. And the world will believe this hook, line, and sinker. And it will add tremendous fame and power to his recognition. The Antichrist will be some type of superhero. And I know we all love superheroes these days, especially some of the younger folks. The beast and the dragon behind the beast will be worshipped for their brute force. And we know that he will be a blasphemer. All right, verse 5. Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Folks, as crazy as this gets during the Great Tribulation, I want you to remember that God is still in control. God is still in control. The Antichrist's power will be limited by God. The 42 months that they mention here means that this puts it within the first half of the seven-year tribulation. And where it says, slandering those in heaven, it means that the Antichrist will be slandering those that were caught up in the rapture. Those that were caught up in the alien invasion that disappeared. Those that were caught up with some type of supernatural purge of society. Those that, that somebody takes credit for, they're disappearing. They're going to be slandering us that have left this world. The ones who were taken away. It says in verse 7, And the beast was allowed, that's the key, the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the Lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. We'll talk more about the Lamb's book of life later. But here we see God's followers of the great tribulation are persecuted. But my friends, that's okay because we know that Jesus says about Peter, he says, You are my rock, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall, and the powers of hell shall not conquer it. Evil will demand to be worshipped. You think that that's kind of a far-fetched idea, but it's happened before. Many years ago in ancient Rome, Roman emperors of the days, they wanted to be worshipped by their people. So there were times where even though you went to the church and worshipped Jesus, as a citizen of Rome, you would have to go and you would have to go stand before some type of politician and you would have to burn a pinch of incense before the statue of Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord. The Christians refused to do this. 
and they were persecuted. Many people say, oh, man, that's just something you do. Go down to the courthouse, give your offering, tell them Anderson County is great and Anderson County is Lord, and come on back home. You can still do your church. You can still do all your other stuff, but you're going to pay allegiance to whatever power this is. The Christians wouldn't do it. So you know what happened? They were martyred. They were put as play toys for lions and gladiators and games of death. They were tarred and lit as candles for social occasions for the Roman emperor and those that were persecuting Christians. It was horrific. But they would not bow to anyone but Jesus Christ as Lord. God always has a plan. We see here, again in verse 8, the Lamb's book of life. God didn't make... I'll get it out. God did not make all of this stuff up. God did not wing this plan together. He did not just, hey, let's try that. No, let's try this. From the very beginning of time, your redemption and the redemption of this world has been in God's plan. So everything as crazy as it seems in Revelation is ordained by God. The work of Jesus was ordained before the very foundation of the world. It says that in 1 Peter chapter 1. God chose his redeemed before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4. And then here we see in verses 9 through 10, God gives fair warning. God gives fair warning. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. If you've got ears, point to them. All right. Everybody's got them. Some of you only have one. Some of y'all refused to do it, so maybe you didn't hear me. But the truth of the matter is, is that anyone with ears should hear, listen, and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. What does this mean? What What is it talking about? This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Also... It means to fight against the Antichrist is pointless. Let's say a group of believers decide, we're going to take this guy down. We're going to revolt. We're going to riot. It's not going to do any good. God's saying, look, if you try to go against this guy, you're going to fail. This is going to happen. You don't have a choice. If Jesus' followers try to wage war against the Antichrist, they will die. During the Great Tribulation. Then we see the beast rising from the land. We've seen the Antichrist and now we see the false prophet. So this rounds out the unholy trinity. You've got Satan. You've got the Antichrist. And now you have the false prophet. And this beast represents someone like the beast of the sea. Like the Antichrist. If you go back and just a quick review. The origin of the dragon or Satan He fell from heaven. The origin of the beast, the Antichrist, he rose up from the sea. The origin of this beast, the false prophet, would be from the land. Let's jump in to verse 11. Then I saw another beast come out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. Can you imagine a lamb speaking as a dragon? That would be kind of freaky. The two horns could represent its authority over religious political realms, or it may just be part of the description of being a lamb. Despite the lamb-like appearance, 
The message of the second beast is still the same as the message of the first beast. Can you see the similarities? Jesus, the Lamb of God, and now the false prophet is, the the beast is a lamb. It could very well be a religious leader of the one world order or whatever kind of religion that will be present that day. They may be seen as some type of spiritual leader. Let's see the false prophet's description in verses 13 through 15. He exercised all authority of the first beast, meaning the Antichrist. And he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Again, we see the fake resurrection or the instead of resurrection. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down from the earth while the sky, while everyone was watching. Now, even in that miracle, we see a callback to Elijah as he was confronting King Ahab and his wife Jezebel and the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18. So we see that this false prophet will be able to do amazing works. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. By him doing this, this also puts him in line to maybe be a reference to being one of the two witnesses that we studied about a couple weeks ago. Or if nothing else, he says, look, just like God helped Elijah, God is helping me. It's going to seem like they are spiritual. And the people, you you think that the Great Tribulation is going to be a time of people writhing against wanting to love Jesus, but being infected by all of this evil. But the truth is they're going to be going into evil head first and loving it, lapping it up like a dog that hadn't drank all day. And the faithful few will see through this. They will be illuminated to it by the presence of God. Verse 14, and with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast, the Antichrist, who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. So again, we see this fake instead of resurrection. And they will, they will be forced to worship him. And not forced, they will gladly worship whom they think is the Messiah, whom they think is the resurrected one that the scriptures talk about, all the while denying Jesus all the way. Verse 15, he was then permitted to give life to the statue so it could speak. Now, if, <laughs> i tell you what, we, we always enjoy driving downtown and uh, looking at... Uh, I can't remember the man's name, but the statue, what's his name? Mr. Whitner, that's right. And uh, when it gets cold, people will put blankets on them for people that need it or masks and people will take it. And he's got just the greatest look is, I think the story was, is when they turned on the power, that, that light was the one that turned on, I think, something like that. Forgive me, I didn't have that in my notes and that's me uh, spitballing here. But I'll go back and study that. But the truth of the matter is, I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting here looking at him doing this, and he comes to life and starts talking to me, I'm going to be running. (laughs) I'm not going to be the fastest one, but I'll be faster than you, I promise. (laughs) I'm telling you what, seeing seeing a statue come to life. But yes, they will see the Antichrist, the statue that they worship, the resurrected leader come to life. The statue will come to life. Verse 15 says, he was then permitted to give life to this statue so that he could speak. And then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship must die. You may think this is far-fetched, but actually it's not. Do you know that God has placed the desire to worship him inside of you? 
I've shared with you this verse before. I'll share it again. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, Yes, God made everything beautiful for its own time. And here it is. He has planted eternity in the human heart. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Meaning that God has wired you to worship him. The problem is we worship so many other things. You realize humans have a compulsion to worship something or someone. That's why we have celebrities. That's why we have athletes. That's why we have sports teams. That's why we have jerseys you can buy. That's why we have bumper stickers you can buy. That's why we have all of these different things that you can use to worship the team or the group or whatever you're a part of that you want to devote your life to. I'm not saying being a football fan or a basketball or baseball fan is, a, is an evil thing. But I'm telling you, when it consumes you and it takes you further away from God, it is bad. Humans have a compulsion to worship something or someone all the time. And the most prominent form of worship removes God so that people can worship things of their own choosing. Much like the Israelites when they created the golden calf. Religious activities, hobbies, addictions, relationships. You know the the greatest thing that you will probably worship instead of God? Yourself. Hey, if I'm happy, everybody's happy. I'm going to live my life. YOLO. You only live once. I don't even think they say that anymore, do they, Daniel? I'm not hip. That's, that's, That's the last hip reference I got for this morning, and it's not even hip. But the truth of the matter is, the false prophet will claim to represent the true God. In the eyes of the world, think about it. You're sitting there during the Great Tribulation. You're going to see the miracle of the two witnesses. You're going to see a resurrected leader. And you are going to see a statue that has come to life. You're going to see a priest call fire down from heaven, just like Elijah. Do you see the deception there, folks? Next, we see the Antichrist and false prophet will lead an economic strategy. Yes, my friends, most everything we do in this world revolves around economics. The value of a dollar, oil, gas prices, all of these things. It says in verse 16, He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or forehead, and no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Folks, without this mark, no one will be able to participate in the economy. You won't be able to run down to the the local market and get your food you need for the week. You won't be able to go to the pharmacy and get your medicines. You won't be able to do anything because you won't be in the system. However, a literal mark needed to buy or sell something is certainly conceivable today, isn't it? There are companies right now I think one of them is called Digital Angel, and I'm not saying this is the, the beginning of it, but the truth of the matter is is that there are, are companies that are experimenting with putting implants in their employees. I remember reading this a couple of years ago to where the employees, all their health information was in there. All the, you know, If they got up to the time clock, they swiped their arm or their hand, and they're good. And it's, it's freaky, I know. 
But think about it. Oh, your loved one has dementia. We'll put this chip in them. That way, if they get lost, we'll find them. It's like some kind of pet or something. Right now, if I take out my phone and I hit the little button, poop, I don't even have to pull out my wallet, a card, or cash, or nothing. Poop, it's there. So the fact of it, think about it, how everything evolves. Some of you remember when your, your phone was like, then you mess up and you have to spin it again. And then if we got really high tech, you had touch tone phones. Boop, 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 boop. How many of y'all ever tried to play a song on that? I guess I'm just the only one. And then it went from that to, whoa, we got answering machines. You don't even have to be there. And then, boy, we got fax machines. And that's something. You can send a document over the telephone line. Then we got email. We thought we were cool if we had AOL, right? You've got mail. Woo! That was a good day. And now people are like, what was AOL? Back when, I remember my first cell phone was a big bag phone. Then after that, it was a brick that folded with a little lip. And then they kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And now we have smartphones that, that are amazing. But do you not think that at some point people are going to come up and say, you know what, forget smartphones. We can put a transmitter in your body. You'll have it with you all the time. It'll, it'll show up. All you got to do is it'll show up on your eyelids and you can read your text messages while you sleep. There's some dumb like that, but people are going to love that. Oh, it'll check your blood sugar. It'll check your heart, but you won't even need a watch. That, that, that microchip will be in there. And hey, if you go to a store, just pay for your, pay for your Pepsi with that thing. Oh, you, I tell you what, you, you want to go ahead and put your social security number to that, then we can let you, with all your employment stuff, we can hook you up with that too. People will be like, man, this is great. We don't need cell phones anymore. Is it plausible, folks? I think so. But then again, I'm the one preaching this morning. But GPS, tracking, the evolution away from cell phones, keeping up with people, making lives easier, we're not far off from that. And isn't it amazing? Again, we've talked about all these knockoffs that the Antichrist is doing, the the fake resurrection and, and the fake worship, the fake Messiah. And the thing is, is that even if you remember back in Revelation 7, God's chosen sealed believers... The 144,000, they had a seal that identified them as those chosen sealed believers. And so now we have an instead of mark for those that are worshiping the Antichrist. And last but not least, let's go into verse 18. Here we go. This is the one everybody loves to get hung up on. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. I'll tell you what, I, I don't like it when someone, when a phone number calls me in the last three digits are 666. I don't like it when I see a license plate, the last three digits are 666. But I'm going to tell you something, those numbers are not evil, folks. Did you know that actually back in, in the ancient days is that people would ascribe numbers to names? So whatever, whatever letter you have and the, the numerical value that it had, it would almost be like a nickname. Archaeologists found in Pompeii, if you remember, Pompeii was that civilization 
that was destroyed by a volcano. Archaeologists found graffiti in the ruins of Pompeii that reads this. I love her whose number is 545. Boy, ladies, wouldn't you like to get a Valentine's card with that on there? I love you, number 321. Honey, would you like me to... I'll come up with some kind of number. I don't know what it'll be. It won't be 666, but... But the truth of the matter is, as we're ending up our time here, the number of theories that make up what 666 means is endless. And I, in no way, in the time that we've had here today, all week or even a year, could cover all of them with you. But I think we can walk away with some brass tacks understanding of this. Christians do not need to fear the number 666 in some type of superstitious way. Like we've said with all of Revelation and all of Scripture, if God wanted us to know the identity of this false prophet, he would have told us. I was telling a few folks earlier, can you imagine if you could take the number 666 and come up with a profile of the beast? In other words, he's going to be from this region. He's going to have this colored hair. He's going to be about this height. His skin is going to look like this. And let's say it's brown skin. Can you imagine how many people with brown skin, people will be looking at him and go, is that the Antichrist? You don't know. It's not, we don't need to get hung up on that number. Can you imagine the profiling that would be going on? I'm not saying this just to discount. Look, there are many smart people that you can put these numbers together to, to be famous leaders that have, have lived and died. Some people, all joking aside, I remember growing up, people say, oh, I'll tell you what, Bill Clinton's Antichrist. Obama's Antichrist. Donald Trump's Antichrist. George Bush is Antichrist. Those people are piddly sticks compared to what the Antichrist is going to be. So what can I conclude with? I can tell you this. These beasts that we've talked about, the Antichrist and the false prophet, They are Satan's best imitations. Let me ask you this. What does Satan create? What does Satan create? Anybody know of anything Satan creates? He creates nothing. He does not create anything because he is unable to create anything. God is our creator. God is the creator. But what Satan does really well is he takes what God creates and he twists it and he distorts it. And he uses it for his purpose. Here we see Satan's unholy twisted trinity. Instead of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we have Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And here's the thing. You and I would be greatly benefited by focusing on the true trinity rather than focusing on these imitations. I'll end with this. Passages like this in Revelation... Make me want to know Jesus more. When I read this, I don't say, man, this is great. I want to get offline. I want to dig into all this. And I really want to get into this number of the 666 and all of the Trinity and all of these other big topics that I can. I mean, the Internet's full of these things. It's on the Internet. It must be true. And then all of a sudden you'll go down a deep hole that you won't be able to get out of. My friends. Passages like these in Revelation make me want to know Jesus more. Passages like these we have studied today do not intimidate me. 
I could care less to know what the exact numbers of the beast mean or what these beasts will look like in real life because I'm praying I'm not going to be here. I'll tell you what it does, though. It makes me want to know Jesus Christ more because my plan is to be with him. Not because I am a great person or that I've done great things. It's because of what Jesus has done for me and you on the cross. Just remember this. It is by his blood and his grace that we will be in the presence of God when all of this breaks loose. The question is, not will you be ready for what's to come in the great tribulation. The question I have for you today is, are you ready today for his return? That's what we need to be focusing on. These things that we've talked about are great. And I'll go ahead and tell you, like I said at the beginning, it's going to get better. I've read the end. It's awesome. The book of Revelation is a book of hope. So now you can hopefully know a little bit more about what's going on with this. But my friends, let it drive you to the Bible and to Jesus and not to all of this mess. Because that's what will change your soul. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for our time of Bible study today. And Lord, it has been very intimidating, very overwhelming, Lord, to be able to preach through this. But I think you kind of wrote it that way. And Lord, at the end of the day, may we just make more of you than all of this stuff that's going to be happening afterwards. I pray that we're not here, but also... I pray that we will be motivated to make sure our loved ones and those that are in our community are not there either because it will be a great and trying time, Lord. But even in the midst of that, we will have hope. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.